morning we're continuing our series in Mark's Gospel. Um, Mark's Gospel can be described in lots of different ways, um, but really um, one way to think about it is like a discipleship manual. Mark's Gospel written by Mark, but we think that the key source for his material was the Apostle Peter. After Jesus' death and resurrection, um, the Apostles started to age and so it was very important that the events of Jesus' life and the teachings of the Gospel would be transferred from generation to generation. And so we have the Gospels in that way. We as a church are going through Mark's Gospel in 11 weeks. I don't know whether you've noticed, but I have, that um, each week the passage of Scripture gets longer and longer. And so if I was to read my 49 verses today, um, we would be here till midday. And so I'm going to tell you some of the story and put in a few of the verses as we go. Um, but it's a great idea if you can have a copy of the scriptures. Um, Mark's Gospel, chapter um, 4, verse 35 to 543. Um, if you have that with you, then you can make sure that what I'm telling you matches what's there as well. Quick summary of where we are with the series of messages. Um, we talked about the purpose of Mark's gospel and that was really to reveal and to make sure that we understand who Jesus really was. And we talked about him being creator, Messiah, son of God. Um, in the early chapters we see how um, Mark's gospel, how Jesus' popularity amongst the crowds grew to almost um, overwhelming proportions where he couldn't go anywhere without the crowds crowding in. But we also saw that in the midst of the popularity that he was intentionally calling people to follow him. And so we see the calling of the disciples and for other people to leave what they're doing and to become his followers. We see that Jesus has compassion and so there's healings and all sorts of things. But we realise that the most important thing that's coming across is not Jesus' healings or his miracles, but his message. And that he had come to reconcile man with God. He had come to forgive sins. And we see um, in the last couple of sessions that we've had how the opposition against Jesus and his mission starts to grow and to increase, and particularly through the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws. And then last week we, we looked at some of those parables um, that talked about the whole purpose was the growth of God's kingdom as he's growing through. And so today we're looking um, at this passage and I'm going to give you a little um, road map just so you know where it is. And I want you to realise that this passage, as we as readers read it, it is emphasising the fact that Jesus Christ is truly Lord of all. And so the four main um, stories in the passage, um, in Mark 4, 35 to 41, um, the story of Jesus calming the seas, um, we see that Jesus is Lord over nature, over creation. In 5, 1 to 20, um, where Jesus encounters a man full of demons and totally out of control, um, we see that Jesus casts out the demons in this man so that Jesus is indeed Lord over the spiritual dominions and powers. And then Mark 5, 24, really through to 43, there's two stories woven together. 
Um, in 24 to 34, there is the story of the lady who had a 12-year um, debilitating illness who Jesus heals. And so we see Jesus is, heal, is the Lord over sickness. And in, in the midst of that, there's the story of Jairus's daughter, who initially he called Jesus to come and pray that she might be healed, but in the process she died. And we see Jesus raises her from the dead, so he is Lord over death. And you're saying, Stephen, you've given us the whole passage now. Can we go? Um, let's just spend a little bit of time dwelling on it. When I was at the Bible College, both as a student and a lecturer, one of the most um, interesting times of the year was at the beginning of the year when the students started to study theology. And I used to talk about it as the annual Lordship Salvation Debates. You see, theological students then then, and I guess now too, love to sit around and argue about theological issues. And so the theology lecturer of the day um, knew that and so he would actually get them going on the lordship salvation debate. Do you know what that is? It goes a bit like this. What does it take to be a Christian? Can you ask Jesus to be your saviour without acknowledging him as your Lord. And so one side of the debate says, well, the Bible just says all you have to do is believe in Jesus, um, maybe pray a prayer and ask him to be the saviour of your life. After all, you know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And so um, one side of the debate was, yeah, well, some people, they become Christians, but maybe later in their life or maybe never in their life do they become um, subject to his lordship. The other side of the debate says, unless we actually understand who Jesus really is, Lord of all, and we come to him and submit ourselves to him fully, then we don't actually come to him at all. And, you know, Jesus said that if my people were to follow me, um, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so understanding who Jesus really is is a critical point in actually deciding to follow him. And then it gets messy because... Some of us, and I remember as a young fellow, I was a bit like this. I go, oh, yes, but I sort of gave my heart to the Lord and then later on I decided how serious that was and I decided to do what he asked me to do. And can I say that I think that's probably just justifying my inaction rather than the reality? Because if we come to Jesus and say, Jesus... Um, Look, I know that you died for my sins. I'd really like you to be um, my saviour and accept the fact that when I die, I will have eternal life and be with you. But I really don't want you to be in control of my life at all. I just want to do the things that I want to do. And it's nice to have you as my insurance policy in the back pocket. I'm not sure that Jesus would respond very well to that sort of approach. And so I suspect that what happens is that we tend to justify the fact that we um, aren't living the way God wants us to live by going, well, look, he's my saviour, he's just not my Lord. 
and I think he wants to be our Lord. And in fact, I think the um, reality is that we actually accept him as Lord and then we decide by our own free will to live as though he's not. And so um, it's a very interesting thing. You know, in Australia, um, they say that um, we who are Christians are under persecution. And, you know, we've heard plenty of stories in this church about people overseas who face persecutions for their faith. Um, but in Australia, people have described our persecutions as the persecution of comfort, the persecution of convenience, the persecution of not wanting to get too serious about our faith because it will interrupt our lifestyle. And yet, as we come to Mark's Gospel today, um, and as the writer writes not only to his generation but to our generation, he is saying it is so important that we understand who Jesus is, that Jesus is Lord of all. And in the first eight chapters in the book of Mark, you see the disciples going on a journey of realising the totality of who Jesus was. So just quickly, let's run through those passages together. In the first one, Jesus is Lord over creation, Mark 4, 35 to 41. Um, in this account, we see the disciples were in a boat travelling across the Sea of Galilee. And a ferocious storm arises so bad that it threatens to sink the boat. Now, some of the disciples were hardened fishermen, spent a lot of their life on the Sea of Galilee. And so for these guys to feel that their life is in danger, from a human perspective, their life was in danger. It must have been a horrible um, storm indeed. Where was Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, who they were following while all this was happening, them trying to save the boat? Well, it tells us that Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. The disciples saw another aspect of who Jesus was. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. He was the Lord over nature, the Lord over creation. These disciples were on a learning curve, weren't they? They get to the other side um, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 19, and they get out of the boat and they're confronted by a demon-possessed, um, crazy um, man um, who lives in the tombs, um, who has extraordinary strength, but nobody knows how to control him. He is way out there. In fact, the scriptures tell us that, um, that they, no one was strong enough to subdue him. He was clearly outcast from society. Society in those days had a much greater awareness of the spiritual elements of the world. And so demon possession is something that in our society we might go, oh, is it mental illness or whatever? But this was demon possession, the spiritual realms taking over the body of this man. And in this passage we see Jesus has absolute power over the Lord, uh, over the demons. And so here we start in verse 6. When, um, when he saw Jesus, that that's the man, from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. 
For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. Um, Roman Legion was thousands of people. This is a, a, a very extreme event. He replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And then this is interesting. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Um, Farmers were doing a profitable business, I suspect. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. You know, these disciples' understanding of who Jesus was, all the time it's getting stretched. They're realising that Jesus is far more than they understand. And then the third account, which is two stories in one from Mark 15, 21 to 43. Um, it starts with um, Jarius, a um, teacher in the synagogue. Um, even though we read about the Pharisees and the rulers of the law giving Jesus a hard time, there are obviously some who recognise that Jesus brought healing. He had a desperately ill daughter. And so he goes to Jesus and asks him to come so that his daughter may be healed. And on the way, um, there is this huge crowd. Remember the popular response to Jesus' ministry. And so you've got to imagine, um, what's a Brisbane equivalent? Being on the, before COVID, being at the exhibition on show Wednesday when you're trying to get through those places. And there are people pushing and you're, you're bumping against people and whatever. Um, and, um, and what happens is that there is a woman who has had this long-term debilitating illness and it says this, and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Um, just an interesting aside, at the life group that I go to on Tuesday, we were talking about these passages and um, you know the fact that each author brings their own view. Um, one of the people in our group said, it's very interesting that Dr Luke, who was a doctor, doesn't say anything about um, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. So, you know, even though um, there is um, the gospel, there is that human flavour, isn't there, that God tells the story through people. That's an aside. And it's sent, spent all she had, yet instead, we love the doctors in our church too, don't take me wrong, wherever they are. We, we love you all, all the medical people, God loves you too. Um, When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her body, in her body, that she was freed from her suffering. Now here's the amazing part of the story. Jesus recognised that healing had occurred in the midst of that crowd. The physical healing is not Jesus' main purpose, but Jesus um, felt the healing had occurred. And so he turns to his disciples and said, who touched me? And his disciples throw up his hands and say, how on earth can we tell who touched you? There's people all around you. Jesus was Lord um, over illness. And it's interesting that while this is happening, some of the, um, the friends or the men from Jairus' household turn up and say to Jairus, don't bother the teacher, your daughter is dead. 
And Jesus says this. Um, or, or Jesus says, no, don't, don't be afraid. I'm going to come to your house. And he does. And then we read what happens there. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. What did the people think? But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, um, they were completely astonished. That's the disciples, the parents of the child. And Jesus wasn't doing this to gain popularity. And so he says he gave strict orders not to let anybody know about this. I suspect the people outside would have noticed something since the girl walks out, but um, anyway, and told them to give her something to eat. Okay, it's just a bit of a, a, a quick run through, but we see that Jesus is Lord of all. Lord over nature, Lord over demonic powers in the spiritual realm, Lord over illness, and even Lord over death. But Mark's gospel is not only wanting us to understand who Jesus is, but what's important is how do we respond to who Jesus was. And so when we think about Jesus calming the storm, um, one of the questions is, how did the disciples respond to what he was doing? He said to his disciples, why are you afraid or so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. There's two things going on here, I think. Firstly is the growing reality for these disciples of actually who Jesus is and the power that he has by being the Son of God. But the other theme I want you to notice is this, that there is also the challenge about the faith of those people who encounter Jesus. Because this is about putting our trust and our faith in him. And the disciples are still in the process of coming to terms with who Jesus was. And when Jesus cast out the demons um, on the far side of the lake and he shows his power there, um, what were some of the responses were there? Well, the person who was delivered, um, he came before Jesus and he begged Jesus, could he follow him and serve him and commit himself to him? And Jesus said, no, but go and tell people what God has done for you. So there was this response of acknowledging who God was, which led to um, wanting to commit his life to him. But there were others there too. Maybe some businessmen who um, used to have pig studs and didn't have any pigs anymore. And so they get together and have a talk and they actually ask Jesus. It says they plead with Jesus to leave their region so as not to interfere with their business. Isn't it interesting that when you come to terms with who Jesus is, different responses. When Jesus cured the sick woman, um, the woman responded in faith. Jesus said to her, um, um, who touched me? And then she fell at Jesus' feet with trembling and fear and tells all. The crowd is like what I picture it. She could have easily have slipped away. 
But she responds to who Jesus is by coming and falling at his feet. And Jesus affirms her and says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Putting your trust in Jesus. And then the final story about Jairus' daughter. Um, There are lots of examples of people who just didn't believe that Jesus could heal her from the dead. The ones who came when Jesus was still coming and said, Don't bother the teacher anymore because she has died. Um, the people who were probably professional um, mourners as well as others who were gathered there, when Jesus said, she's not dead, she's asleep, they just laughed at him. But for those who were in the room and saw the girl come back to life, they were completely astonished. So what's, what's the message for us from Mark's Gospel? Well, Just as the disciples of Jesus had to come to the point of understanding that the one who they followed, Lord Jesus, creator, Messiah, son of God, had to be Lord of all, then in our lives we have to also come to Jesus and to recognise that if we are going to follow Jesus, we can't just do it half-heartedly. He has to be Lord of all. Um, We live in a world where comfort and um, convenience is important and sometimes it's churches like that you know um, there'd be lots of people who like to be in church as long as it's convenient as long as it's comfortable um, as long as they have programs that we enjoy Um, but the true call to be a follower of Jesus always has cost and the cost of commitment is following him faithfully C.S. Lewis was a very famous Christian author um, not so long ago Um, For those of us who are older, for those of you who are younger, it was quite a long time ago, but it was in the last hundred years. Um, And he said this, um, Jesus told people that their sins were forgiven. This makes sense only if he really was God, was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God, Lord over all. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would be, could not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell, You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He never intended to. And that's the reality, that as we read this, we come to Jesus as Lord. As we read um, the Gospel of Mark, we, like the disciples, need to surrender to um, Jesus as Lord in our life. If we understand the passage this morning, we can't be content to be nominal Christians who claim a relationship with God but retain the lordship of our own lives. Over the years, I've read lots of interesting stories or illustrations. Um, One of them is like this, thinking about our life as being a house. And when we ask Jesus into our life, it's like we give him the key to our life to come in and to dwell with us. 
But for some people, it sometimes seems as though we might invite him into our house, but um, we've kept the locks on some of the doors in our house. And um, one publication, the Christian Post, um, posed some interesting questions about um, which rooms in our house are actually open to God. What about the study or the library? talking about our minds? What about the dining room, talking about our desires? What about the living room, um, talking about our family and friends? What about the workroom, um, where the things that we are achieving and, um, and doing? What about the recreation room, about the sort of entertainments um, that we have? What about the hall, closet, attic, garage or basement where we hide things that we don't want anybody to see? I think this passage tells us that um, Jesus came but he asks us to follow him as Lord of all. Um, We see through the eyes and the experiences of his earliest followers that he was Lord over nature. He was Lord over spiritual realms. He was Lord over illness. He was Lord over death. And if we went through the gospel, we'd find so many other things where Lord, he is Lord of all. But what's our response? Do we fall at his feet and ask him to be Lord of our lives, every part of it. We need to do that. And, and we may well have done that, and we may well have then moved on and started to live our life and putting God in the background. That's not because he wasn't Lord and isn't Lord of our life, it's because we choose to live our own way. And so we need to keep coming back to his Lordship in our life. We should not be content with living our lives Um, Ephesians 5.18 talks about um, being filled with the Spirit and sometimes we are happy not to be filled with the Spirit. But this morning's a chance for us again to come before God, to think back if we've made that commitment and bowed our knee to him as Lord of all, if we've never done that, to do that this morning. But to accept him as the Lord of our life, our Saviour and our Lord. And then the words of um, Paul in Romans 12.1 would echo for us as well. He says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. There's no greater sacrifice than offering your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, proper worship. And um, that true and proper worship, one way that that's translated is it's the only logical response when you stand before and know the Lordship of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, there's lots of things here that we probably know, but Father, it's so easy in our lives to forget. Father, for us to get caught up in our own affairs. Father, we as a people and we individually need to once again remember that you are Lord over all and Father, that we bow our knee and to follow you. Father, give us the strength that we need. Um, Help us to pay the cost of being a follower of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.